Hello, and welcome to Season 3 of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. This is a podcast designed to provide you with the inspiration, confidence, and strategies for transitioning out of campus-based positions in education toward other opportunities. Hosts Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Studdard pivoted out of campus-based positions and have experienced success by translating our education skills into a new career path. With almost 16,000 downloads across our 35 episodes in our previous seasons, the need is clear and we're back for Season 3. For show notes and information about the podcast, visit pivotingoutofedu.com. Our inboxes are clear that you all need support with your pivot. Therefore, if you're thinking about pursuing an opportunity outside of your campus-based position or know someone who is, check out our website for pivoting resources and our consultation services. If you think this podcast was awesome, please consider giving us a five-star rating. Now, sit back and get ready to be inspired. Hello, and welcome to Pivoting Out of EDU. I'm Jamie Hoffman. And I'm Tom Stutter. And we are very happy today to have a friend and colleague of mine, Nori Barajas Murphy. And I should say doctor, although it's kind of weird, right, in this space that we don't always uh, use our doctorates, but all of us are technically uh, doctors. Um, But super excited to have you share your journey I think you even just before we started recording shared, oh, yes, that you used to work in the music industry. So like I'm learning even more things that uh, I didn't even know existed. We are excited to hear about the ebbs and flows of your career path. And with that, if you can get started, you know, say hello to everyone and then just share a little bit about your background in education and then also the pivots that you have had in your career. Excellent. Thank you for that really generous introduction. I am a a person of a couple of pivots at this point. I don't know if that uh, alludes to my age or if I'm just interesting, but we'll just sort of stick with maybe I can't make really uh, long-term decisions. So yes, I'm Nori Barajas Murphy. I have had quite a few different roles, but predominantly my career has been in education. I started in K-12 actually and definitely moved around a lot. I really enjoyed classroom teaching. I loved creating curriculum. I had a great time uh, collaborating when I was uh, in the classroom with other, other instructors and putting together units that, you know, history and English together, just had a wonderful time. Um, I did also work uh, as an administrator. I kind of went to the dark side in K-12 and did a couple of stints that were county level work as well as state level. One of those projects kind of helped with this connection. Uh, I, I did some grant writing at one point in 2008 or so when uh, the California economy tanked. I was up fortuitously in a school district that didn't that hadn't kind of done very well with their money and they had some of the first layoffs, which put me in a great position to at least get a job while there still were some. So I was adjunct at the time. That's how I entered into higher ed in the first place. There was a role there very similar to what I was doing in K-12, focused on faculty development. Um, I'd always been in sort of a digitally focused faculty development role, which meant that I was, you know, learning management system, digital platforms, digital technology, digital textbooks, just things of that nature, which which kind of uh, befuddled other folks in my career. So worked out really well when I got to my university, 
I, I worked my way up, kind of opened up the doors for online learning, got to write some grants there, some federal uh, Title V grants. That brought in some money to create a first-time instructional design team on our campus. So it was super, super exciting. That was my initial part. And, uh, you know, I ended up in, in higher ed for about eight or so years uh, in that role, kind of working through different positions in the faculty development department. So what what made you leave teaching to go into higher ed, like classroom teaching? You know, I'd already been doing some administrative roles. And I think seeing the view from a county office where you're in an LEA, like a lead education authority, where you're seeing like a big picture, you're seeing where curriculum is selected at sort of a higher level. That was really just sort of interesting to see the bigger part of the machine that is K-12. Okay. The reason I ask the is my undergrad is in secondary ed. And I the only time I ever actually student ever taught in a classroom was when I was student teaching. But I loved every minute of it. Like I actually really enjoyed the classroom teaching, which is why I think I was attracted to the higher ed part that was teaching, right? Yeah. You know, yes, I was an administrator, I was a dean, but I loved being in the classroom. I loved sort of that that interaction. I came from a family of teachers. Like I think all four of my grandparents, I think, had teaching degrees, and both my parents did too. But I loved that aspect. For me, it was, it was, I, I was a, I majored in social studies. So I was going to be a, a civics teacher. And I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how I was going to do that for the rest of my every single day for the rest of my life. I remember I quoted people say, or I would quote myself saying, I can't teach how a bill becomes a law every day for the rest of my life. I just don't know how I'm going to do it. So <laughs> well, we we still need to know that apparently. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Very good point. Yes. You know, I always thought there were some days where, um, you know, I love laughter. I would sometimes think I will never make it as a stand-up comedian, but in the classroom, I have a captive audience and they can just like <laughs> laugh or ignore me, but they can't go anywhere. Right. So, That's so true. <laughs> I love that. I love it. Um, okay. So fascinating backstory. So what are you doing now? Um, what's your current role? Um, how did you end up in your current role? Um, and then, you know, for the benefit of our listeners, really, you know, who might be interested in doing either something like you're doing now or what it is that you're doing now, what's your day-to-day like and, and what would it take for somebody to, or, or what, what makes you successful in this type of a role? Yeah. So those are good questions. And I think they're probably very unique uh, depending on the field that you're in. My initial pivot, again, there's a sort of thread where grant writing has taken me places that teaching or instructional design might not have. I had hit kind of a glass ceiling at my institution where I had to get a doctorate, but I couldn't get to that sort of next position. And I decided to take this huge risk and go 100% on a grant, which in higher ed means, you know, there there may not be a, a, a position for you at the end of the grant implementation period, which was like the best risk I ever took because it made me a little edgier. It made me focus outside of the institution on creating a community in my field, really pushing towards kind of promoting the expertise that I had in higher ed, but also making connections to people that had maybe some adjacencies and, you know, they were doing public speaking or they were, you know, had other roles in enrollment that I didn't know about. A position came up at a a higher ed membership organization and they had a grant that they'd gotten from the Gates Foundation. And so somewhere with my grant background, I became this ideal candidate. So that was my 
first role, I was still like higher ed light. It was online focused, lots of instructional designers. So, you know, I didn't have to change my clothes because I looked like everybody that I'd always looked like, right? That position then evolved, like the connections that I was able to get from that really expanded nationwide. And that evolved into the next role that I was recruited for to was a one-year project position, but it was based on somebody that I'd known through the grant. And anyway, long story short, I moved to another membership organization um, and worked with the Horizon Project. I guess I should say it was Educause, wonderful organization, incredible people. And so I worked on that project. And then, then comes this role. So all the things about knowing people, somebody who had worked in the Gates Foundation, uh, Josh Jarrett, had joined a startup and he was one of the founders of a startup called Instride, where I work now. And he was overseeing the sort of academic part, the academic relationship team. And he knew people that, you know, gave recommendations from the foundation. And somehow, you know, I got hired into this role. It it was very incidental. It was a startup. I am the 17th employee. So we were making up a lot of things about the unit I'm on at the time. And man, I have to tell you, startup, first of all, is just you are running as fast as you can to catch your breath and run as fast as you can. So it was a really unique situation to just kind of come in and make up what my role was, which changed every week. Ultimately, I got into the position I'm in now. So it's been almost three years. And there was a point where the role I had been in had kind of become sort of a project management, relationship management role that was less about the skill set I had. And so we kind of looked at a way like, what can I do now that really brings the expertise that I have into to Instride? And I'm in a principal role now instead of a director role. So I'm considered more of an individual contributor, but that's not as lonely as it sounds. It just means that <laughs> you tend to work on a team rather than lead a team, uh, which, is, which is a great place to be in a fairly new field in my experience. So my current role is a lot of research. I did end up getting my doctorate. You're right. I love research. It was uh, it was a dream to have that done. And so really applying, you know, scanning and researching and analyzing not just what's going on in higher ed, but going on across industries is predominantly what I do. I do focus then on like what we have in our academic catalog, understanding what the learning outcomes are, the content. And I'll kind of be this sort of crosswalker, like reading industry skills, understanding industry language, L&D, HR language, and then crosswalking what the industry needs or what's trending into the content that we have so that we're really matching up what our partners, what our partners need. So much um, that that I actually, well, the startup, so much resonates, but what I want to do is do a quick follow-up. If you're, if you're comfortable, I think it would be great if you could share with folks what your company does. I think it's kind of, well, it is newer, and I think it's quite innovative and it would resonate with folks listening. So, um, yeah, if you can share with that, that will and fill, fill a gap for them, too, in knowing. Yeah, I, I did. I started in the middle of the story. So, yes. Uh, no, the company- we asked you to, but then I realized, yes, we need more info. Yeah, context does matter. Because there's a lot of places you can go 
when you leave higher ed. And this particular company is in the um, strategic enterprise education space, we like to call it. I've done a lot of research on TAP programs, those tuition assistance programs. And we're not we're not really orienting ourselves around the $5,250 that you can write off tax-wise. We are a strategic enterprise company that partners at a senior, senior level in uh, a large corporation. And we are the academic provider of skills, certifications, and degrees. And we have a fairly specific network. Instride as a company has their sort of uh, genesis story, as it were, from the, the iconic partnership between ASU and Starbucks that really broke open how a company can support their employees, mostly for social good, but there's a lot of different reasons why why a company would want to offer education to continue to upskill or reskill employees that they have, or in some cases offer dependent benefits to family members. So that's what our company does. We seek to partner with um, large corporations, uh, global global corporations. We bring our network of academic partners and skills providers, and then we help with how to put that strategically together to make the biggest benefit for the learners and the company as well. How does that do? You, do you feel like that makes sense when you hear me say it that way? Okay, definitely. You had me at ASU and Starbucks. No. <laughs> No, yes, that does spectacular. I mean, the I mean, there are like seven thousand graduates who are debt free with a bachelor's degree. Wow, and I, I mean, that can make me tear up if I think about it too much. That's just unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I remember when ASU launched that program with Starbucks, and you know, I think you you probably know this about Jamie, but full full transparency, both of us have degrees from ASU. Um, I did my <laughs> I did undergrad there, Jamie did her grad work there. So, you know, I remember when it first came out, people were sort of like. That's weird, right? Like Starbucks and this massive institution sort of partnering together. But, you know, one thing that I love is when I walk, I, for those of you who don't know, I literally drink Starbucks every single day of my life. And I love walking into the store and seeing like the ASU emblem and almost every store where they talk about the benefits of working at Starbucks is, you know, education. But then, you know, I think again, like it, it, it became sort of this like model of like, companies can do this with their employees and it benefits the employee, but it also benefits the company and it benefits society. And there's sort of this, this larger picture to it. So I love that that's, that's the example. And, you know, again, sort of add another moment of pride for my alma mater. So, yeah, you know, one of the things that you talked about, um, you know, a little bit back Nori was um, sort of that, you know, the, 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 rat race to maybe some extent of, of working at a Starbucks or working at a, <laughs> working at a Starbucks. Clearly now I have that on my mind, working yep. at a startup. You know, when I first started at Zoom Info, we, it was a startup, you know, it was six years ago. We had 120 employees at that time and, and we were still considered a startup and yep. it, and it was, not, it, it, it still is a little bit, but it's, it's more strategic, but, you know, back then it was like, run, 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 hit a brick wall and then figure out a way around it. And then run, 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 run. And, uh, you know, for those of us, we always sort of tease, tease each other for those of us who've been here through that process. Like some of us are tired and, and it's, but it's, it's all consuming. And so I think that, you know, what's interesting for our listeners to know about that experience mm-hmm. that you've had um, is that, you know, we talk a lot about sort of the different types of companies that you can go work for. You can yeah. certainly go work for a nonprofit or you can go work for a corporation or you can go work for an NGO or you can go work, 
in, you know, in an ed adjacent, ed tech or ed adjacent, but, you know, there's the enterprise level companies that, you know, I always say you can get dropped into Amazon and if, and there's a, a specific role that you're going to do and you're going to do it the way they've sort of prescribed you to do it until they know that you're good at what you do. And then they might give you a little bit of a leash. And then on the far other spectrum is the startup, which is like, like I walked into a desk that had nothing and it was like, okay, go. And you have to have that mindset. If you want to work at a startup or if you find yourself working at a startup, it's like every idea is a good one. And there's no files that you get to sort of look through um, to, to get started. You're literally create your, my, my boss always uses this sort of uh, saying is that I'm flying the plane while we're building it. And that's very much what it felt like when, when I was working at what was then a startup phase. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh-huh. sort of amazing. Hundred percent hear you. Yeah, all, all three of us are like vigorously nodding our heads because I was like the seventeenth employee at my company, and my experience has been like that. And I think it's 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 very much worth emphasizing this though because we've got people who would be listening who are listening to this podcast that might be in student services, student affairs, some faculty, some teaching and learning, and some of what's driving people to look externally is um, this idea of wanting to work less. And you may work less at a startup, but I think that that there's a very good chance you won't be. So (laughs) it's it's probably a good idea to really determine. Now, do we have more control of our time? Um, There's a lot of variables that make the 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 work um, very worthwhile in a startup that I love and, you know, would probably choose forever. But it is still a lot of work. Um, and so maybe, maybe you don't want to go to a startup if you're really looking for like a strict nine to five, and, you know, yeah. peace out after that. Um, and, and that's a variable people should think about. You, you know, you talked about in your pivots, we like to kind of, you know, ask like what, what advice and as, as people are thinking about moving from one to the one area to the next, what are things that you sort of think that they should consider Um, as far as sort of finding the positions and and understanding what path to go on. And I know I want to highlight that you mentioned, you know, you went to the grant position first because you, you know, took, wanted to kind of take, well, you didn't say explicitly you wanted to take a risk, but you took a risk and wanted to do something different. And then you followed a bit of a thread um, through that. But what are the thoughts that you think and encourage people to do as they're approaching a pivot and trying to figure out where to go? Well, I think, you know, the three of us are probably uh, not risk averse, right? Like we're just, we throw caution to the wind and see what the adventure holds. And that's a personality type that a pivot would be, I could give a certain amount of advice for that. But there's also, it's really important that you talked about like this whole idea of workload, whether it's work less or control the work or, or something else. If you are a person that has that kind of, I'm excited about what I do. I want to change it up, but I don't want to throw caution to the wind. I'd like to have some kind of continuity around what I do. I do think the size of the organization that you go to and looking at, you know, job descriptions for areas where your subject matter expertise is really going to bridge over pretty well. I think for someone like you, the three of us who probably like the adventure and don't mind 
not knowing something because it provides that perfect opportunity to be an adult learner. Like why learn something new unless you can't apply it right now? (laughs) And what better thing is there to learn than what you need to do to get through the day, right? So I think for a personality type who knows that their adventure really does call to them, they don't mind working hard because they actually love what they do. When you're looking at roles, don't try to match up every single thing on there. And you know, if you don't have it, don't apply. Look at areas where you know your subject matter expertise from higher ed will be additive, right? If you're in enrollment, like think about things you know about the enrollment management engine and what you could bring to marketing teams or what you could bring, uh, you know, as far as insights that have to do with you know, just learners in general, whereas something like my experience, like, right, I don't do anything with instructional design. I'm as far away from instructional designers as possible. But my understanding of how to build curriculum means that when I'm looking at course descriptions and and learning outcomes, I know what I'm looking at. So for the risk takers, just dig in there for, okay, I'm an expert at that. I can lend, I can, I know I'll figure this part out because I will just kind of, you know, upskill myself or adjacent reskill myself. Yeah. I, I think there's two different ways to look at that. And I do think the risk is, is, you know, know your personality. Yeah. I think that that's right. I, I, if we were still doing uh, show titles, know your personality would be the one for this one. I think that that's great. Like, <laughs> You know, knowing knowing who you are and what you can do and what you want to go into is is sort of half the battle. You know, I you know, I, my story being very much I've I've always been about education. I've always been really passionate about education. Mm-hmm. What I figured out really quickly is that schools are not the only place to provide education. And uh, if you can sort of expand sort of that mindset, like I I don't even work in sort of the the traditional education. I work for customer education, but a lot of the same principles apply. A lot of the same theoretical foundation and constructs apply. Instructional design apply. So I um, I, I love that you sort of um, pinpointed that for us. So um, great conversation, lots of good information. So uh, to sort of close up the show, just maybe in one sentence, and if you need more than one sentence, it's totally fine. Um, you know, just sort of give us the the advice that you might have for somebody who is thinking about or has started the journey of making their very first pivot. You know, I had one thing I wanted to close with, but you just made me think about another thing that is, there is this subtext, this mantra that I carry with me from job to job to job. And it's this little drumbeat of access and equity. If I'm in a role where since the first day I stepped into a sixth grade classroom, I realized my heart and passion was in access and equity, especially especially to people who are not just underrepresented, but underestimated. And so that's one thing, right? When I look at my thread, like grants is sort of at that top level, but every role I've taken, I know that my mission, my core mission is the thread of my my career, even though it doesn't look like that in job title. So that I'm just adding that because you do what you just said, Tom, about, you know, where you are in that inner, inner part, like your own, your, your own mission. Um, But I would say more directly as sort of kind of advice kind of stuff, embrace the fact that you are leaving behind somewhere where you're the subject matter expert. 
and know that you're going to bring that subject matter expertise to where you're going to go. And it may not be valued in a way that feels like it used to. But don't don't let yourself get sucked in and think, well, maybe I'm not an expert <laughs> as much as I thought I was, because promise you are. But also in embracing that that expertise is going to just kind of go with you and may not be familiar to other people. It is the perfect opportunity to model being a lifelong learner and say, I don't know, or take a note to yourself. I don't know and go learn it. I can remember one of the early meetings, you know, I really wanted to be the expert in the room and somebody turned to me, we were talking about, I don't know, partners we were talking to, you know, we hadn't signed yet. And somebody turns to me and goes, well, what do you think about the pipeline? And I just kind of sat there for a second and just said with total vulnerability, I don't know what a pipeline is. <laughs> I had, I really, I didn't even, I truly did not even know like where to begin to figure out what a pipeline was, but I felt okay saying that because I had committed to this job. I knew I was going to be starting from ground zero again. So that would be my advice. Like hold tight to the fact that you are a subject matter expert and open up this excitement about you're going to learn new stuff. I tell that to the employees that I hire all the time who have pivoted, who are pivoting out of higher ed. And, you know, I've hired quite a few into the roles because I work in education, just a different world. And, uh, you know, I remind them all, it will come. You will get this. I promise you will get this. It's just going to take a little bit, uh, a little bit of extra time, you know, reminding them like when you started in higher education, you had no idea what FERPA was and you had no idea what all of the exactly. policies that come with being in education. You became that expert over time and you will do that again in this new role. And so I think that advice is, is both very relevant, but it will also resonate quite a bit with our, our listeners. So Nori, it has been truly an absolute pleasure to talk with you. I was, um, well, you know, um, talking with Jamie and I, I, I think that one of the cool things that you have is sort of this balance between practitioner and faculty and, and, mm -hmm. and teaching and, and learning. And, and you sort of represent everything that is good about education. And so I'm um, just really thankful for, for your story and your journey and being a part of our podcast. So uh, again, thank you very much for all of the listeners that are out there. I uh, hope you really enjoyed the story and the journey that Nori provided to us today. Make sure that you tune in next week for another riveting episode of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. Thank you for listening to Pivoting Out of EDU. For show notes and more information about the podcast and our consultation services, visit pivotingoutofedu.com.